0: Hello, and welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. My name is Anne Gilbert, and I'm the director of programs for Can Do MS. And thanks for joining us today for our second episode of our young adult series. Today, we have two guests joining us, clinical psychologist Lucy Carrier and 36-year-old Bernadette Perez, who's been living with MS for 10 years. Lucy and Bernadette are going to discuss the different mood and cognitive challenges um, and how these can impact everyday life. And they'll also share some strategies and best practices for responding to these mood and cognitive changes. I'd now like to introduce Lucy to you, who many of you heard from on our first episode of the Young Adult Series. Lucy, welcome. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience working with people with MS.
1: Well, thank you, Anne. I appreciate the opportunity again. So I've been working in the MS field for almost four years now, uh, following completion of my doctorate. I chose to pursue specialized health psychology training at a large MS center, working with individuals and families diagnosed with MS. And I've continued my work in the field and various roles in MS organizations in my community, which I have just deeply enjoyed. Um, And I'd say probably one of the most enjoyable aspects for me in working with people affected by MS is just the incredible resiliency that I have been able to kind of share as part of that journey as as a psychologist and working with them.
0: Thanks, Lucy Uh, and Bernadette. We're so glad to have you on this podcast today as well. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about yourself and where you're from, how old you are and when you were diagnosed with MS?
2: Sure, well, I am 36 years old. I was diagnosed in 2008. Uh, 10 years ago when I was 25. Um, my story is kind of interesting. I had my first relapse when I was vacationing in Madrid, uh, which was very difficult, um, obviously to navigate the waters of uh, a culture that you you have language disparities in between you. Um, so that was quite the feat, but I have relapsing remitting MS. I live in Atlanta. I grew up on Long Island. I moved to Atlanta in 1989, and I finished high school here. And then I went up to school in DC, where I uh, did my undergrad, my master's, and moved down to Atlanta to be closer to my family, my mother, my father, my sister, who has two children. Um, My husband and I are the godparents of them. So It was really important for us to be closer to them through their formative years. Um, And that is where I'm at currently. As part of our
1: podcast series, we really wanted to highlight the importance of discussing mood and cognition issues as they related to MS. Um, While we know physical symptoms of MS are first to develop with a diagnosis and often receive the most attention, we know that those less obvious symptoms of the diagnosis can be equally challenging, specifically when we're thinking about mood and thinking abilities. And so we know that disruptions in mood and thinking can have profound impact on everyday functioning, the ability to work, relationships. And so we're hoping in this podcast to be able to talk with Bernadette about her mood, about cognitive difficulties, struggles, successes, and triumphs that she has experienced as part of her life with MS. Uh, so, I'd like to open it up for you, Bernadette, um, to tell us a little bit about um, your experience with mood symptoms as they relate to your diagnosis.
2: Okay, sure, yes. Um, so, I didn't immediately know that mood and cognitive changes were part of MS. Um, I was initially more concerned as to the physical aspects um, that I would be affected by. I personally did not have any mood or cognitive problems until about a couple of years ago I had met with my neurologist. I had told him that I was experiencing some cloudiness mentally. Um, In fact, I told him that I was feeling stupid. Uh, In a way I was kind of joking, but I was also being serious. So uh, he had suggested that the mood – was probably relating to the cognitive changes. I was put on depression medication that had a tremendous effect. It was an incredible difference that I was able to experience the the cloudiness had subsided. And once I was on medication, I was feeling more mentally balanced. And most importantly, I didn't have the anxiety that would would hinder accomplishing my daily tasks. So I was very happy with the place that I was at.
1: You've really had quite a journey um, in terms of when you first recognized your symptoms, talking with your doctor about it. I'd love to hear, you know, what that was like for you with your doctor, you know, in the exam room hearing that you might be depressed and finally kind of putting a name to some of those mood struggles that you had been experiencing. What was that like?
2: You know, immediately when I had when I had addressed with my neurologist that I was having a loss of words, I was unable to kind of complete sentences, or if I'm telling a story, it would never be sort of directed or told with continuity. I always have to take a break and figure out kind of where I was going, what was my trajectory. I found that by writing things out, I was much better prepared uh, to address things, especially if I was telling uh, to my neurologist examples of when I was feeling at a loss for words or kind of when I wasn't, I was telling a story, but I was unable to get to the point fast enough. And he had said, well, you know, you might be depressed. And immediately upon seeing, you know, having someone telling me I might be depressed at first, your your immediate response is, well, no, I'm not depressed. You know, I'm I feel fine. But also you have to expect or at least address the inevitable um, of what the disease can bring with it. Um, again, like I had said, I felt impenetrable to anything. Uh, you know, the physical aspects, you can work on them, but, you know, it is what it is. So when I had heard depressed and I had immediately said no way, I had to kind of accept the fact that, okay, um, maybe I am depressed. I think of times where, you know, anyone can fall into um into feeling depressed or, you know, there are times that you are kind of down in the dumps and depression and anxiety are closely related. I could understand the, the anxiety as I, I oftentimes let my anxiety put a spell on my daily tasks and hinder a great deal of accomplishing what I had already written out i was unable um, to multitask so a lot of that was you know accepting and sort of you i mean accepting takes a really long time but at least accepting to the fact of okay medical professionals are telling me i might have this and it's better to get it addressed than to overlook it and let it linger and become A larger problem? Yes. Like you've really
1: become very proactive um, in terms of just not only just your overall health care with your MS, but recognizing, all right, I need to do something about these mood symptoms and the way in which they're affecting my life.
2: Absolutely. And what I had said, Leah, you kinda when you're when you're given those words, you know, you might be depressed if you're unable to function cognitively where you feel you should be then you have two avenues that you can choose to address it or to ignore it and say no and there is no reason I can give as to why I I say okay I'm gonna deal with this and I did and I'm very thankful that I did because I feel totally different than I did two years ago I feel comfortable talking about it. And I've always been kind of that person only because I know that there's somebody out there that's probably experiencing the same thing. And
1: certainly that's fit with your experience at the MS program, learning from
2: others and learning you weren't alone. Yes, absolutely. Um, Again, like I said, in the very beginning, I didn't realize that mood or cognitive changes were part of MS, I, I probably knew it, but I said to myself, it's not a part of me, like I can defeat this. I know, I know I'm know i smart because of what I've accomplished. Like, I I can't be succumbed to this. Um, so it's definitely, it's hard, but also, you know, I, I met so many people at the Can Do MS program. It was an absolutely wonderful five days I learned so much. I took away so much. And then you sit in these um, lectures where you kind of go around the room and, and you hear so many people that say, you know, I was, I had a career. Um, I had a very lucrative career, or I had a career that was very rewarding to me. Then, you know, the cognitive changes and mood disorders of MS kind of threw a wrench into my life. So that was really eye-opening to see that while these people may be at sight look totally perfect, their mood disorder and cognitive changes have prohibited them from going along with their lives.
1: You said something interesting a few minutes ago, Bernadette, when you were reflecting on just the reluctance to kind of acknowledge a disgust mental health symptoms. And I think that's oftentimes more common than we, we give that credit for or that we experience. Um, and again, one thing that you experienced in a group setting and learning, I'm not alone. Others have, have um, kind of encountered the same journey. I'm wondering, um, you know, had you received feedback from others in your life? As we know, relationships can be affected by mood symptoms. Is that something you'd heard from those closest to you?
2: not at all, not at all. You know, no one sees me trying to struggle with, you know, finishing a sentence or telling a story and thinking about, you know, another totally randomized different subject that's kind of taking me away from the continuity of me telling a story. Uh, Those closest to me might say, oh, she probably thought of something different. And, you know, just any other person just thinks about something different and goes on a different tangent. Um, so so nobody around me closest to me has ever really um, noticed the cognitive changes and said anything. Um, my husband sometimes noticing that it may take me a, a while to get to the point of a story, has said, you know, okay, just get to the point. And you know that that kind of makes your mind, totally cloudy where you're like, I don't even remember what I was saying because you're frustrated that somebody noticed. Not particularly helpful. It sounds like. No, not at all. So sometimes, you know, I I have stepped in and said like, okay, be patient. This might take me a little while to tell my story. I promise I have a point. Just bear with me.
1: Well, one thing I'm struck with, with you know, listening to you Bernadette is really being an advocate for yourself and letting others know what it is you need specifically as it relates to these invisible symptoms of MS which we know are so incredibly common living with this disease and are unpredictable from one day to the next and I really love how you were able to pull in and have started to kind of educate your family about the role that stress plays and how it's easy for you to get off track if
2: Right. Yes. Um, but going back to what you had said, you will deal with, you know, people who who are unable to comprehend or aren't patient or don't have the empathy. But that's life. And that's you meet many a different people. Um, but I I know all of that because all of my immediate family, they all have those different personalities, which in a way it's challenging, but I also know what I'm up against. So, and I'm ready, you know, to say, okay, you know, you need to slow down because you're really overwhelming me. And I have no problem whatsoever, um, being totally open, honest, and transparent, um, with people around me, family, for example, that, you know, may stress me out or may overwhelm me or may say, you know, you're taking too long, get to the point. I have no problem, you know, saying this is why, you know, X is happening because of Y and, you know, bear with me, be patient. If you don't, that's fine. You know, I'll move along. I enjoy um, sharing my stories and ways that I remedied things because you can only learn from it it's really
1: empowering for you. And one thing I really like, and that has struck me, Brennan, at listening to you is the, the toolkit you have kind of assembled over the years and how to deal with these various mood as well as cognitive difficulties. As we know, not one strategy is going to work every time for one particular issue. And so you have really developed, I think a pretty nice array of different things that work at different times for different days, essentially.
2: Yes. So different times, um, you know, obviously call for different ways of doing things. Um, But I spend time reading a lot. And I I usually, if I come across something that I don't understand, You know, it's only me and and between me and what I'm reading. You know, I can take all the time in the world to go back and read it. Uh, I sometimes ask myself, like, okay, I just read this article. If someone were to ask me what I read, how would I summarize it? Yeah, sometimes it's really challenging for me. And sometimes, you know, it's a a little easier um, to do. But, you know, most of the time it's not and it's just me. So I know no one's judging me. I mean, I typically judge myself. I'm very hard on myself. Um, but I'll do it until I get it right. If it takes all the time in the world, you know, I might move on to something else and go back to it. Everybody's different. Everybody has ways of, um, of stating, you know, how they're feeling, what is difficult for them, you know, what may be difficult for some person. May not be difficult for me, and vice versa. I, when I read things, uh, there's a ton of words that I know I knew at some point in my life, but I found myself writing them down on flashcard or index cards and using them as flashcards. So I write it on the other side, I define it, and i I feel I feel a great reward from doing that. And you know, I might put a stack of flashcards down and not go back to them. But they're always there, so I might go back to them and challenge myself mentally. And if I get three right, you know, it feels pretty good. Everybody has a different way of doing things.
1: So it sounds like you've really, again, tried to kind of hone what works for you in terms of managing these difficulties with attention, concentration, the distraction, and this daily practice for you has. It sounds um, sounds like it's
2: been beneficial. It has, and sometimes. You know I'll be really tired, and I won't want to write all the things down, and that's fine. You can go back to it or you know or you don't have to.
1: I was gonna follow that up with um that delicate relationship between cognitive changes and fatigue they They go hand in hand um, and affect one another um so much and so what's that like for you on those days where fatigue is a little bit more? challenging a little bit more takes more energy to do things what are your thinking skills and abilities like those days
2: yes those days and we all have them but you know it only takes one day and one time to feel utterly fatigued you know like you hit a wall that's when you 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 have to you have to sort of tell yourself to take a chill pill let's sit down let's you know Put your feet up and relax a little bit. Watch some brainless TV. And you might feel better in 15 minutes, or you might not. And you can, you know, continue to do what makes you feel relaxed. Um, I tend to notice that when I'm mentally fatigued, I write down more stuff because I know I'm going to forget it in 5 to 10 minutes mental fatigue certainly has a great deal to do with cognitive changes. Um, But I think it's important to tell yourself, you know, my mind is feeling cloudy because I'm thinking of a million things. Let me get it out of my head, write it down, but also it's okay. You know, it's, it's a side effect and it's a side effect that's not going anywhere. So accepting it is very hard, but if you can accept it and find ways to um, remediate it, then, you know, that's a, that's a feat in of itself.
1: Absolutely. And it sounds like you are practicing that patience for yourself daily um, and really kind of building up that, Kind of psychological muscle we call it of showing that grace for yourself because as i was listening to you i was struck with how almost discouraging and frustrating that can be daily living with that fatigue and the frustration it causes when you're trying to make a list or you're trying to read an article you've been waiting to to kind of open up or a, a book you're wanting to to complete and how frustrating that can be
2: yes absolutely it's incredibly frustrating. I, you know, I've, I've had MS for 10 years, and I just started to accept the fact of all of these symptoms and, you know, what they, what affects what, you know, stress affects this, mental fatigue, mood, you know, cognition, uh, obstacles, I, I've i started to accept it in the past couple of years.
1: I, I think everybody's journey with their acceptance of their symptoms and what day to day brings is is unique, as you've as you've discussed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Everybody is different, um, but I hope no one judges themselves against any other person that has MS because it's challenging in a myriad of ways, Um, the way that one person might deal with something might be a totally separate way for you. So, you know, I might have um, a memory, a memory problem, or I might not be able to finish telling a story. And all of that is, that's okay because, you know, it's, it's going to happen. You just have to, when it does, I think it's helpful to mediate it by doing other things. I can't finish telling a story. Well, you know what? I'm going to write it down. And when I tell it, if I sort of go off on another tangent, I'm going to have that paper with me and I'm going to be able to pick up where I left off. I've started to not care what Anyone thinks if it, you know if, if I can't tell a story but I have to write it down in order to successfully tell it, then who cares? You know that's that's the way I have to do it. Everybody has a different way of doing things. You know, do it do what works for you, and don't worry about what anyone else thinks.
1: I think you characterized it quite well. You you found what worked for your personality um, and how you've approached uh, this this disease and managing it day to day. I'm wondering, Bernadette, if you could tell me a little bit about how you went about thinking of different treatments um, when it came to addressing the mood, the cognitive symptoms with your doctor. Oftentimes, we um, encourage our our patients when we're working in the context of MS, of exercise. We talk about psychotherapy, medications. What was that decision-making process like for you?
2: Well, the decision-making process was only difficult because I didn't know what kind of doctor to see. I found what works for me because my neurologist had suggested to me to see a psychiatrist because if it was indeed depression and anxiety that I was having, I needed to see a doctor that I was able to uh, receive medication. So after seeing a psychiatrist for a couple of months and working on the correct dosage, I had stopped seeing her because what I felt I needed was talk therapy. So I, and psychologists and even, you know, counselors or uh, social workers are also able to do that. So I'm at the point where I have stopped seeing my psychiatrist because I I felt really comfortable with the medication that I am currently on for depression and anxiety. And I knew I needed to see someone with that can do talk therapy. So that is the point where I am at. I, I am currently seeking and finding people that um, fall under my insurance. Um, in the past, I had had talk therapy when I lived in DC, I was seeing a psychologist and I'll tell you what, there is nothing like talk therapy. And that's really the most important realization is realizing, okay, I have a problem or an issue or something I need to tackle. I need to seek treatment in whatever way to, you know, to, to get it taken care of.
1: And it sounds like for, for you, Bernadette, um, being really authentic in the context of psychotherapy and sharing your journey with MS and the struggles and learning different skills, different ways of thinking about whatever it was that you're, you know, as, as it relates to your MS you're dealing with has been incredibly worthwhile and, and beneficial. And that's really encouraging. And I think for others to hear. One thing you mentioned that I thought was really a good point was um, in your decision making process of tackling these mood and cognition issues, was the importance of trying to um, pull together a multidisciplinary team and your, your healthcare providers. You mentioned talking with your neurologist initially and then seeking out a psychiatrist and then onto a psychologist. And I might have even recommended thinking about a speech language pathologist or other rehab specialist to help with maybe some of the cognition issues or, you know, different exercises. So I think it's great that you really thought about it in a a broad sense of how do I go about tackling all of these different issues that I'm dealing with?
2: Yes, absolutely. You have to seek out the treatment of, of many different components, doctors, because you're kind of, you're in the middle of that circle and all the doctors are around you. And once you kind of complete that circle of, of tackling the meetings with every person and, and trying to hone in on the different aspects of what you're attempting to accomplish, then you know that circle closes in on you, and you should feel complete. Another very important aspect that the Can Do program taught me was the importance of a primary care doctor. I had never had a primary care doctor the entire time that I was diagnosed with MS. And during the conference, it was one of the most important things, a takeaway when you go home, get a primary care doctor. I had always figured, well, if I'm gonna see a neurologist, Every month or every three months, I may as well, you know, kill two birds with one stone and just have them take care of it, which they did. But there, there is something to be said about primary primary care doctors that address a broad spectrum of things, whereas your neurologist is your neurologist. They're there to address MS and the symptoms of your MS, but a primary care can address. A plethora of other items to kind of make you make you whole. So, one of the best things I did was establish a primary care doctor. Which I'm there are many takeaways from the UMS program. Um, I, there's so many of them I can't even list. I'd have to write them down. Um, but primary care doctor was another one to kind of solidify the the, the sphere of all of the treatment
1: a great point there.
2: Also, when we think
1: about primary care, um, most of the time, or a lot of the times, they're they're the ones in the community writing the prescriptions for antidepressants. And so I think that's another avenue or another resource for us to think about in terms of treatment for these mood symptoms. If medications is a route one wants to pursue, talking with their primary care provider, they may not necessarily have to see a psychiatrist given, you know, what circumstances and context. So, um, yeah, that's a nice plug there. I I really appreciate that. Um, you know, one thing I've been thinking about Bernadette listening to you and the, the journey that you've been on with your MS and various mood symptoms and the difficulties with cognition day to day thinking kind of big picture, you know, how is it that, or tell me maybe a little bit about your outlook with how you go about dealing with just the unpredictability of this disease and specifically thinking about mood and the challenges that come with, I might not know what tomorrow looks like or next week. How do you, how do you go about that every day?
2: Yes. I mean, that's very difficult. You know, the unknown is the unknown. So you can't, be proactive about what you don't know, but you can, you can do a lot of reading and research about MS. Everybody's different. Some people may not think about tomorrow because tomorrow might seem scary. And quite frankly, the only thing I do to prepare for tomorrow is to make a list of all the things I want to accomplish. Now I would say I'm lying if I didn't think about the trajectory of the disease and when it progresses. Um, you know, I, I'm always trying to stay on the cusp of new medications and their side effects and thinking of other alternatives. But uh, it, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard, a hard hill to climb. Um, and it's very, uh, volatile, I guess, in terms of what new medications will be better. Um, so, you know, there's always a part of your mind that can say, Oh, I don't need to think about this. I don't need to think about this, but you know, as today you need to.
1: And you're right. I think there is a balance there that it's elusive. I think at times for us to want to strike between Acknowledging what might be going on with regard to our current disease status, acknowledging medications, the roles that they can play, other supplementary therapies, and really seeking those out. And on the other hand, not obsessing over it or perseverating on it and all the negative and the bad things, because at the end of the day, it can eat you alive. Um, And I think, as you have discussed, psychotherapy has been immensely beneficial um, to maybe navigate some of those struggles, that unpredictability that can really be the hallmark of this disease and living with it, and having those outlets—if it's talking to someone, if it's relationships um, outside of a professional context—you know, really trying to kind of build up that network, as well as your own healthcare providers and the team that you have assembled to deal with the myriad of symptoms that have has come living with this disease. You know, this topic is definitely a little bit more personal talking about mood and cognition and big things. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and opening up.
0: Absolutely. I agree, Lucy. Uh, Thank you so much, Bernadette, for being so open and for sharing with us on this podcast. I'm sure that our listeners have been able to learn so much based on your experiences. Uh, And thank you to Lucy as well. Before we conclude, I'd like to recognize our sponsors uh, for helping to support this program. Thanks to Above MS, brought to us by Biogen, EMD Serono, Genentech, Novartis, and Sanofi Genzyme. Please tune into our third and final podcast of this young adult series, which will be on the topic of relationships. And that will be available on our website at cando-ms.org on September 5th. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.